See, most women are stumbling around in the dark about money and that's what feels so uncomfortable. So it's about taking the blinders off and just choose one thing. And after you've chosen one thing and you've worked with that for a month or whatever, choose another thing, choose a second thing. Very important not to get overwhelmed because there's a high degree of anxiety and you don't want to make that worse. It all begins by understanding the mind. I want to be happy now. I don't care about the future. I want to be happy right now. You are not alone. You are never, ever, ever alone in this. It's helped my voice grow and given me freedom to be creative on my own. I'm Christina Barcy. Welcome to Be Bold Begin, a podcast dedicated to you, the creative, the healer, and the innovator. The topics and conversations we have here are designed to help you discover what might be getting in your way and offer you tools, techniques, and guidance to move through them. I live in the imposter's body more than I live in my own body. I don't have to feel like I don't deserve this. This is where creativity and healing intersect. If you decide to be bold and begin, you have the opportunity to feel humbled and empowered. I totally believe that. I'm a certified Kaizen Muse creativity coach, a certified Reiki energy healer, and an entrepreneur, artist, and presenter. I will share with you my experiences, my proven tools and techniques that helped me and my clients and loved ones shift and expand in the areas they most desired. This is a gentle and open space where you will hear how others are being bold to encourage you to begin your own journey or expand the one you're on. This is Beeple Begin. Hi, welcome back. This is Barcy, your host, and I want to preface today's conversation with a disclaimer. What we're about to talk about is considered taboo, and it is especially considered taboo for women. In my opinion, keeping this topic taboo and not opening it up for discussion is a method of oppression, and it also stifles our ability as a global society to evolve and grow. And I believe that when we have conversations like this that invite openness and opportunities to start to change how each of us relate to this topic in our own lives, whether we identify as a man or a woman, then that is when we start to really invite a bigger change for all of us. So today we are talking about money. I have with me an amazing and very certified money coach, Virginia Baker-Wolf, to share with us on this topic and break down our stigmas and how our relationship with money relates to the other parts of our lives. So welcome, Virginia. Hi, very happy to be here. Thank you. Absolutely. I'm glad you're here to talk with us about this. It's something that I've been wanting to have a discussion around on the show for a little while. So I was excited to see you reach out. Yeah, good. Excellent. (laughs) Wonderful. So why don't we get started? I would love to hear more about your background and if you can just share with us what you did before and how you came to do this kind of work. Okay. I started my working life as a university lecturer in language, Spanish and French, And I attended the Sorbonne for 12 months. I attended the University of Sevilla and I taught for at least 20 years. And then I just got bored and tired of it. And so I got a job in a corporate job in an educational institution. And I was very, very, very unhappy in that position in that institution. Mm. So I looked around for what else I could do. And I found an ad in the Saturday paper 
about coaching. I'd never heard anything about this before. And so I answered that ad and I went and did that course. Mm. And then I thought I needed more training, that that was not enough. So I signed up to a full program with Coach U, which is an American coaching training provider, and I think they're the best. Anyway, I did a lot of training with Coach U, and I also trained as a facilitator of a manager as coach course. Because of the language teaching is the most interactive teaching that there is, Mm. and When nobody else was interacting with students in a classroom, I was because it's the best way to learn a foreign language. So when the facilitation of the manager as coach came to me, I'm a very experienced facilitator. So it was very easy for me to take on that educational program and deliver it. And I deliver it, I did for a number of years. And during that time when I was in that organisation where I was so unhappy and I was off doing coach training, Mm -hmm. I asked the Department of Learning and Development to loan me out as a coach to staff so that I got practice and experience. And then another organisation asked me to deliver my manager's coach program and the organisation where I was employed would not allow me to do that. Mm. They wanted me to write a submission about why I should do that. I should add that this institution is government. Okay. You know, you've got a submission for everything. You've got a submission to go to the bathroom. So I was told to write a submission and I just said, no, I'm not going to do that. Which government are we speaking to as well? Can you? Okay. Australia is a federation, the same as the US. Mm -hmm. So we have a federal government for the whole of Australia. And then each state and territory has a state government. Great. Thank you for sharing that. Our audience doesn't know where you're located. So thank you. Yeah, so I live in Sydney, and Sydney is in the state of New South Wales. So this was the New South Wales government. So in the end, with this nonsense, backwards and forwards, I decided to resign. And I've got to tell you, it was one of the happiest days of my life. (laughs) Seriously, that's how unhappy I was. How long were you in that position before you decided to leave? Oh, four years. Okay. And what kept you there that long if you were so unhappy? Well, I had children at school. Okay. My children were enrolled in private education, so I had school fees. Mm -hmm. And to tell you the truth, I would have been better off being a barmaid. Mm. Uh, I was so deeply unhappy. It was run on rumour, gossip, bullying, judgment. It was the most shocking organisational culture and... The day I left was, as I said, one of the happiest days of my life. And so then I started coaching in corporate and executive coaching, and I did that for quite a number of years. And in around 2015, I was aware of the fact that I was a bit of an idiot, or I felt like an idiot about money. Mm. So I decided I would do with money what I do with everything else in my life, get the research and start reading. So that's what I did. And I then thought that Doing some training in this would be a good thing. So I enrolled in an American coach academy called the Money Coaching Institute, which is in California, run by a woman by the name of Deborah Price. Deborah's stuff is fantastic. And Deborah's course is not a weekend course. Deborah's course is a 12-month course. Wow. And then you have to submit your work, your homework, to be able to be certified. 
And if Deborah thinks that you're not quite there, she'll send you back to repeat something again. And so that was how I started. And so then I started doing a tremendous amount of reading and research. And I came to the realisation that what I felt about money personally, and which I thought was odd, turned out to be the same for a great majority of women. So where I thought I was just on my own and I was a bit of a dill and, <laughs> you know, I'm a competent, educated woman and I should be able to do this. Right. And it's shameful that I don't know how to do this and I can't tell anybody because they'll think I'm a goose. And when I started doing the work, I came to the conclusion that I wasn't the odd one out. Mm. I was a member of a big tribe, the tribe of women who find money very anxiety-producing. And I started doing some EFT work. If your listeners don't know what that is, that's emotional freedom technique. Mm -hmm. It's scientifically validated and it definitely has results. So it's a modality that you can use either with a practitioner or by yourself to move through blocks. So I started working with a practitioner to move through my own money blocks and I still work with a practitioner when I need to. And the other thing I did was I was on the lookout for any courses about money. And the practitioner I was working with suggested a few things to me. So I went off and I did one of these courses. And I thought it was excellent. I thought it was a very good course, but it didn't touch the sides of what my issues were. I'm going to slow you down just for a moment. Can you share with us where you felt the most hung up, like why you were avoiding money in the first place? that built this sort of shame to discuss it with anyone. And then what you discovered, we'll jump to what you discovered in that course that wasn't serving what you were trying to learn about and, and heal. I felt like a deal in everything about money. And I believe that the majority of women feel like this. There are a number of blocks that women have, and I think the majority of women have them. And I'm not talking about women who earn low incomes and are not educated. I'm talking about educated women on $200,000 plus per year have these same problems. Mm -hmm. So I didn't want to look at a bank statement. I didn't want to look at a credit card statement. I didn't want to do a budget. I didn't want to discuss it with my husband. Mm -hmm. I never knew where I was at financially. Like I never knew where we were up to. Mm -hmm. I do think that I had issues with my husband and I must say up front that those issues had nothing to do with my husband. You know, I came with my own issues and I don't blame my husband for any of this whatsoever. He's been a wonderful husband, but I did have these issues. And one of the issues that I think women have is that if we become very conversant and very adept with money, we might lose the love of our partner. Mm, interesting. Now, this is like a very age old construct in women's heads that doesn't necessarily have anything to do with the time that we're living in now. What it has to do with is the time we were living in when we were five. So this might be 40 years ago. I see. Or 50 years ago. And what we need to remember is that 50 years is an awful long time to the young ones, but it's not so far away for me. And the fact is that in the 1970s in this country, in Australia, a woman needed her husband's permission to have a credit card. A woman could not get a mortgage on her own. You could not get financing to buy a car on your own. Everything had to be guaranteed by a man. So a lot of the women who are now 40, 50, 60, they lived through a time when, in fact, 
women didn't have much financial power or the ability to have much financial power. So we still have a load of patriarchal norms around money for women. And women are afraid that if they step outside of their box, they'll get into trouble one way or another. Interesting. Like there's fear around losing something that's important. Yes, yes. Mm -hmm. You will lose out. You know, there are some terrible stereotypes about women. A woman who's assertive and who stands up and who speaks out is seen as an aggressive bitch. Right. But when a man stands up and speaks out, he's seen as a leader. Right. And he gets the raise. Yeah. And so there's a disconnect. And that same disconnect happens with women with money. So a man over here is doing really well and he's earning this much money and he's very adept and very experienced, very responsible, and he is a wonder. He's a wonder to the world. But over here, the woman who does the same thing, well, she's a ball-busting, unpleasant woman that you don't need anything to do with. Right. I'm hearing that this is directly linked with how we perceive worthiness in relationship to love. And it's almost like you get one or the other. You either are liked and loved or you can have a nice, healthy relationship with money. It's one or the other. Am I hearing that right? Yes, you are. Yes. Unfortunately, yes. Interesting. And this is not all women, of course, but it is more than 50%. It is a, you know, we're talking in Australia, 61% of women have a problem at the end of the month with their bills. Now, that shows that there's a problem somewhere. It doesn't tell us exactly what the problem is, but it shows us that there is a problem. So it might be a problem of overspending, might be a problem of under-earning, might be a problem that you've got too much debt. You shouldn't have a mortgage the size that you do. You shouldn't have repayments as high as you have because you're not earning enough to manage that. There's something wrong. It's a symptom. It doesn't tell us what it is, but it's a symptom that there's a problem. Right, right. Interesting. So I want to jump to the course that you took where you felt that you were not receiving not necessarily the right information, but a full picture of how to assess healing this issue for you or finding the right place to start. Maybe you can walk us through what wasn't working. Okay. So as I said, it was a good course and I think it's well done. And I think the person that does that does a really good job. Okay. So I'm not dissing on this person. I think she's doing a great job for a lot of women. Wonderful. But for me, in the first instance, what I felt was that I was ashamed of the way I felt and I was ashamed of the way I behaved with money. And that course did not speak to that. It did speak to the biggest mistakes that women make about money, like Mm -hmm. we hide our heads in the sand. We don't think we're good with money. So because we're not good with money, we never do anything. We don't dare to ask for what we need. It did deal with blocks, but it didn't validate how I felt about money. And at that point in time, what I was really looking for was validation that I was not crazy. As a highly educated, competent woman who had a problem in this area, and in my mind, I shouldn't have a problem in this area because I'm a very intelligent, competent person. So my first thing that I needed was somebody to validate me and say, you are not alone, possum. (laughs) Oh, do you know what a possum is? Possum is a little animal that we have over here. We have possums, but I wonder if they're the same. Well, probably different varieties. Anyway, (laughs) it's a saying that we have here, you know, possum. It just didn't speak to the shame. It didn't speak to the vulnerability. 
It didn't speak to the anxiety. And I've got to tell you that since I've been doing this work, like publicly, mm-hmm. like let's say, you know, launching a course, you know, like from last year, mm-hmm. and, that, you know, the majority of women feel the same as I did. You bring up a really good point about needing to meet people where they are. And the first step is really normalizing the feelings of why they showed up in the first place to try to fix the quote unquote symptoms that were manifesting through our relationship with money. So that's something I do and I do creativity coaching and it's very important to have that normalization piece in the people and the way that I work as well. It's very important. It helps us all kind of get past the, okay, we're all in this together. And my feelings can start to let go of the shame. And I can start to let go of the stigmas that are associated with my feelings so that I can get to the work that needs to be done. So I think it is important to talk about that part and to include that in how we begin starting to heal things in our lives, whether it's money or other parts of our blocks that all of us have. We all have some version of a block in life and those can show up in many ways, right? So yes. thanks for pointing that out. So you had that experience and then what did you do after that? What I was going to say a moment ago is that what I became very aware of since I've been launching my courses is that a great majority of women will ask me, what do they do about being so terrified of looking at their bank statement? So it's a majority of women out there who are worried. So what has this done for me? Is that the question? What did you do after you realized that course was not meeting your needs? Ah, well, I did what I always do. I started researching. Yes. And I did a tremendous amount of reading and research. And I realized that that piece of normalization was missing in any and every course that there was about money that I could find. Wow. And, you know, when you teach a foreign language, the first hurdle that you have to get over as a teacher is to help these people feel okay with how they're feeling. And language is so, we are so connected through language. And when you take away somebody's mother tongue and tell them, they have to start communicating in this other language. Well, everybody shuts up, nobody wants to talk, and this is terribly embarrassing because none of them know how to do this. So as a teacher, the first thing you've got to do is get them to accept their vulnerability and their not knowing, and that not knowing is okay. And so if they just work with me for a little bit here, by the time they leave the classroom, they're going to know a little bit how to say something. <laughs> and I think that that piece in language learning is the most important piece there is. And I think the analogy serves with money coaching. I think it's the same. The first hurdle you've got to get over is how vulnerable and shameful people feel about money. So the normalization validation piece is, I think, anyway, in my opinion, unbelievably important. I would agree 100%. And I also relate to your language example. I had a really hard time in my language classes because I couldn't get over the embarrassment. Similar to how you describe your feelings around money, I felt like a very educated, smart person. And yet I couldn't get some of the basics down at times and it felt very embarrassing. And so I wouldn't participate. Yeah. See, you were not alone. That that was the majority of your class. Probably. 
And even if the others in your class couldn't admit to that, they may not have been able to voice that to themselves. But I can guarantee you that everybody who walks into a language class feels exactly the same. And that's why normalising it is so important, because it's not one odd person out that the teacher is dealing with, is managing. It's the whole class. So some of them will be able to be upfront about it, but the majority won't be upfront because the majority of them are a little bit scrambled in the head because they don't know what this is all about. Why do I feel so uncomfortable with this? Very discombobulating. Yes. So in first world Western life, we don't like being uncomfortable (laughs) and we don't like not knowing. It's very difficult for us to suspend belief and just go forward. But what is necessary, both in language teaching and then I could get into painting here as well, being an artist. Right. In both of these things, the not knowing, frankly, is to be celebrated because it's like here you are and you don't know anything. So we're going to move you beyond this. And it's the same for language learning, money, painting. Now, you see that all of those things, this is not like learning to cook a cake. All of those things affect us in very deeply held places in our system. You know, the language learning, this is how we communicate who we are. And if you take away my mother tongue, I'm going to look like an idiot. And I don't like that. The painting, you know, somebody gives you a canvas and a paintbrush and says, go for your life. (laughs) And I say, oh, my God, I can't paint. I don't know how to do this. Whatever I do won't be very good. And that ability to draw and paint, whatever we're carrying around as adults are the same feelings that we had as a four-year-old in kindy who didn't know how to draw. It's the same stuff. And the money piece is exactly the same. So it's a little bit like taking people on a coaching journey. The great analogy is driving in the dark in a car on windy roads and you can only see as far as the next bend. And people will get very anxious and bothered because they can only see to the next bend and they can't see beyond that. So there's a whole issue about have the faith and confidence to get to the next bend. And when you get to the next bend, the one after that will be revealed to you. So it's like a step-by-step process. Mm. But right up front, the most important thing is the vulnerability and the shame. And imagine corporate women who are earning very good money and they could easily listen to me and say, oh, but that's not me, that's not me. You know, I'm very intelligent, I'm very competent, I earn very good money. Well, of course, there's a large cohort of them that do manage their money properly and well, but there's also a large cohort that even though they earn all that money, they don't do very well. And when I say very well, they don't manage to build anything. They don't manage to build wealth. Can you describe what building wealth in this context, how we can define that? Okay. Building wealth that you are set up and prepared to build wealth. So that means that you would have some budgets and financial planning in place. And then you would have a structure for saving money. And that would most likely be an automatic deduction from one account to another account so that you don't make a choice every month about whether you're saving money or not because you've put it on an automatic transfer. Mm. And might I say, when people say, Virginia, I'm not managing, how do you think I'm going to manage to save anything? My answer to them is start with $20. 
start with what you can do. So for one person, it'll be $20. Another person, it'll be $100. Another person will be $500. Start where you are with what you've got because the effect of setting up that automatic transfer has an unbelievable impact on our mindset. And instead of seeing ourselves as idiots, we start to see ourselves in a better light and we start to see ourselves as having some structure and responsibility. And to get those types of feelings going and changing your mindset around that is really and truly worth the $20. (laughs) And then building wealth would be after you've done some serious savings, you start to look at investing, you start to look at shares, you start to look at property. And when people say, I could never do that, I say, start with the $20 savings. The other thing I would recommend to people who want to build wealth is to go and talk to people. And by people, I mean financial planners and the banks. You know, most of the banks these days have a person that you can go talk to about financial planning and you don't get charged for that conversation. So I'd be having that conversation and getting advice from the banks. I'd also be having conversations with financial planners. And again, a first upfront conversation doesn't cost anything. And after a person's had those meetings and conversations, they can decide, is there enough money to work with here to actually work with a financial planner? And when they choose a financial planner, they must choose somebody who charges a fee for service and not a percentage of investments because when it's fee-for-service, the planner is not tied to certain structures. I see. It's much cleaner. That makes sense. That's a great piece of just practical advice that you threw in. I like that. That's good to know. I hadn't thought of it that way. Yeah. Well, it's a little bit like taking yourself on as a project. So, I mean, I've had some women in the last 12 months, women who were on very good salaries, tell me, that they can't open a bank statement. Now, I think that's very concerning. And the other thing is that's really important, the money story that we're carrying, we didn't write that yesterday in our adulthood. We wrote that story when we were about five. And most of us are still living out that same story that the five-year-old put in place. And there's no shame in that. The reality is that's what we're all doing. But to change that story from a five-year-old story to an adult story takes a bit of work. Right. How does that happen? Like, what is it about that time that we're being influenced by? Is it our parents or society in general? Are we factoring that in at that young of an age or is it everything? Well, the most important pieces of the story are the way your parents managed money and the kinds of conversations that you heard in your household. But more important even than the conversations was the feeling. And when I say the feeling, you know, say your mother says something about money to your father and your father's face drops. Mm. So the child internalises that whatever that mother said made him unhappy. And so the child walks through their life noticing a million things. Our brains are very fertile at that age. And again, you know, people wouldn't think this, but the reality is children are unbelievably aware and they notice everything. So it's your parents' attitudes and your parents' beliefs and the way those beliefs are played out in your life affecting you. And then we've got your grandparents And then we've got anybody else who is very influential in your young life. Might be an auntie. Everybody's story is different. And then we've got what you see on TV. 
and what you see in advertisements. So we're surrounded. We're all surrounded. And the child is like a very empty vessel. The child fills itself up with what it sees and what it knows. So in money coaching, we do four key processes to work specifically on the story. Okay. Can you share a little bit about that? Okay, sure. Well, the first step is to acknowledge your story. So the first thing we do is we do a biography of money. So we take you back to whenever you first remember. And that might be a four-year-old and your mother said you couldn't have an ice cream. So we go back and we do a whole biography of your life in regards to money. And they get a bank of questions to help them with that. So we're drilling deep into what happened as they were growing up. And then we get them to do a mother, what we call a mother-father mirror exercise. And that becomes more specific. So what did your mother think about money? What did she say about money? How did she treat money? How did she treat spending? Did she earn money? And so we get a listing of what the mother did. We get a listing of the father. We get a listing of the grandparents. And then we say to the clients, now, what have you taken on from your mother? So we make what's going on very conscious and aware. And then we do a quiz about money personality and the money archetype that you're carrying. And this is a system that Deborah Price put together, and it's extremely simple, but it's extremely spot on. As simple as it is, it's really spot on. And you can do that quiz on my website, and it'll give you the main characteristics of your behavior and what you are challenged by and what strategies you might take to move to a more positive archetype. And then the fourth piece is a life inventory. So... We want people to rely on themselves as a resource. And the point of this is that if you're having a problem with money or you feel like a fool with money, what I want you to learn is that you are not a fool. And so I ask you to write an achievements list from the time you were tiny. So from the time you learned to walk and talk and tie your shoelaces to, you know, school sports and study and academics and now jobs and family, I get you to write a list of your achievements throughout your life. And at the end of that, the client is going to sit back and say, gee whiz, have a look at that. I've done heaps more than I ever thought. Oh my God, I'm a very competent woman. Because that internal wealth is just as important as the external wealth. And there are a lot of women who have a problem with external wealth, but they also have a problem with internal wealth and they beat themselves up, they give themselves a hard time, they don't have a lot of compassion for themselves and they see themselves as idiots. Mm. Well, that's just faulty thinking. They're not idiots. They're bright, clever women and they've done a heap of good things, you know. And when we're looking at the achievements and the achievement listing, we're not just looking at jobs and money. We're looking at the difference your person has made on the planet, in your society where you live. So this might be that you're a fantastic mother and you're also a fantastic auntie. There's a whole range. You're a really wonderful wife. You're a good best friend. There are so many areas where women put themselves down and we need to build them up. 
That's a really impactful way of approaching it, sort of drawing attention to how an individual has made an impact in their community and their lives and the people in their lives. And that's really refreshing to hear. I'm wondering if you can help us understand, like, from this internal wealth perspective, how does that manifest? Like, what kind of issues are tied to this sort of relationship with money that may need some work? Well, this is an excellent question. Because money is a metaphor for most everything that's going on in our life. So whatever we do with money, we are doing in other parts of our lives. So if I just take myself as an example, and I say, I don't want to know about the money, it makes me too anxious. And I say, where else is that happening in my life? So that's being fearful, shameful, shameful about being vulnerable, a lack of skill, where else is that manifesting in my life? And I can see that something over there in another part of my life is happening in exactly the same way stuff happens with money. So for example, people don't do budgets because they think they're depriving themselves. They don't see a budget as a freedom metric. They see it as a deprivation metric. So they don't want to do it. Now that is that they don't want to take responsibility and plan their life. So You might see a lack of responsibility at your job. You might see a lack of responsibility in a friendship. Whatever's going on with money is going on with the rest of your life. And as a coach, what's going on with the rest of your life, I can't really deal with all of that. I can only deal with what you bring me. And what you bring me might not be the whole story and might have some holes in it. And I can't deal with anything that you don't bring me. When there's stuff that you don't bring me, but I know that it's there, I can ask some very good questions. But the the rule of thumb in coaching is if I ask that question three times and you don't answer me, I need to just leave that alone and you'll get to it when you're ready, but you're not ready right now. Now, that sort of coaching trajectory is completely altered when the subject is money because Money affects us day in and day out, and we can't run away from it. And the anxiety and distress is quite on the surface. So when we start to talk in a real way with somebody about money, that distress will become obvious and you just can't put it under the table. It just doesn't work. You just won't be able to because it's so part of who we are. So what that means is when you pull the pin on money, and you start working with it, by default, a whole load of other issues have the pins pulled and get worked on. So we're talking about areas like deserving, enoughness, responsibility, self-care, self-image, self-confidence, self-esteem. There are so many self-development issues that will experience side effects from working with money. Does that answer you? Absolutely. Yes. And as you're speaking, I'm, you know, thinking of my own experience and seeing how related all of that really is. It's true. I think for women too, worth is a big part of that. How we see our worth is often very easily translated into money, especially for business owners who have to come up with pricing. It becomes something worth healing for sure. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Thank you for just going through that and explaining it. I do have another question around the word abundance that's thrown around a lot these days and, you know, manifesting abundance. 
having an abundance mentality versus a scarcity mentality. What are your thoughts on that in relation to working with money specifically? That's another really excellent question. My answer to that is that abundance and manifestation and the mindset that goes with that is extremely important. And I don't consider it to be woo-woo or out there. I think it's a really great type of mindset to have and to be working in that way. You know, there's a guy out there called Joe Dispenza and he does a lot of healing work and I've taken a cue from him. I do a visualization every day. I just sit down and run myself through a visualization in my head. So I use this. I use abundance mentality and manifestation. However, the other side of the coin is that for very many people, whilst they're doing their affirmations or they're doing their visualizations, they'll have this little voice in the back of their head that says, oh, I don't think so. (laughs) So if I say to myself, for example, I am a magnet for money, and there's a little voice in the back of my head that says, oh, no, 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 you are not. Well, repeating the affirmation and, in fact, writing it down and repeating it, this is going to be a good thing. But the little voice in the back of my head needs to be attended to. It needs to be worked with. And we need to see it, if you like, as a symptom. So there's no shame And once again, it's probably the majority of people, of women, where this is happening. I am a magnet to money. No, you are not. I need to work with that voice of no, you are not. And I need to know where is that voice coming from? And quite frankly, how can I make it shut up and agree with me? (laughs) And to do that is to do shadow work. This money work is shadow work. So on the one hand, you've got the very outward abundance mentality and over here you've got the shadow work of money and they don't cancel each other out and you need to do both. It's not either or, it's an and. So it's abundance and shadow work on money. And the people who can deal with that little voice in the back of their head is going to create much greater manifesting results. Thank you. That's wonderful. It sounds like we really need to find the alignment between the two mentalities and start to align our yes. our feelings with the affirmations and the practice. Yeah. Look, affirmations are great. And, you know, there's a whole load of stuff that's great. Affirmations are great. Mirror work is great. Visualization is great. Uh, journaling about what you intend and want to bring into your life. These are all excellent techniques. But the money shadow work is an integral part and it can't be avoided. You can't avoid it. It's so tied to our survival as well that I can see. That's right. And it's that very point that it's so tied to our survival. And that is precisely why people can't put it under the table if they do any coaching work. That makes so much sense to me. I'm grateful that you're having this conversation with so many women and coming here to talk with us about it as well in such detail and sort of talk about all the angles that it works out in our lives, where it starts and how you work with women. So I appreciate your time with us. Can you, if there's one thing that you want to make sure someone takes away from this conversation, what would that be? If it was just one thing, I would say you are good enough. You are enough and you can do this work. You know, you are enough and you're not the odd one out. You're part of a large tribe that simply don't talk about it. You are enough and you can do this work. And so then I would say, 
take just one step. If you're anxious about this, take one step. And that one step will be different for different people. So one step might be start working with an EFT practitioner. Another step might be to start doing a little bit of reading. And I recommend a book by an Australian man called Scott Pape. And his book is The Barefoot Investor. And I recommend it because he talks in down-to-earth language and he's quite funny and his advice is excellent. Another person might decide in their sort of start small, they might decide to have a look online every morning about some money or they might subscribe to a few blogs about money and they might commit to 15 to 20 minutes a day to reading. So it's about finding what you can do to start building structure and self-confidence without overwhelming yourself or distressing yourself. And the idea to come with is, see, most women are stumbling around in the dark about money and that's what feels so uncomfortable. So it's about taking the blinders off and just choose one thing. And after you've chosen one thing and you've worked with that for a month or whatever, choose another thing, choose a second thing. Very important not to get overwhelmed because there's a high degree of anxiety and you don't want to make that worse. And if people are interested in emotional freedom technique and they say, Virginia, I do not have the money to be paying for a practitioner, I would say, okay, no problem. Go on Google. There are a couple of excellent EFT people and you can tap along with them. So one is Margaret Lynch and the other one is Brad Yates, both Americans, and their work is excellent and they've got loads of videos online. So The other thing is that in doing the EFT, you might think it's silly. Well, that's okay. But just Google EFT validation and a whole load of stuff will come up because it works. Is that enough? That's wonderful. Lots of resources too. I appreciate that. We'll put those in the show notes so people can have a reference point of everything you just said. How can we connect with you? You can connect with me on my website, themoneyproject.net. You can email me. I'm info at themoneyproject.net. I'm on Instagram and LinkedIn and Facebook. And what I would recommend to people, there's a giveaway I've got, and there are two free things that people can have. One is a wealth mindset bundle of an ebook and a workbook. And the other is I do a 30-day email challenge to soothe your inner naysayer. Now, that inner naysayer, It's the voice in the back of your head saying, no, 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 you are not a magnet to money. So this is the voice that we really need to get under control. So there's a 30-day email challenge. You get an email every day and it's on one part of that, some small part and free. So nothing to lose, everything to gain. And the same with the wealth mindset. People really like it. And the other thing to be aware of is that Any day now, hopefully by Monday, I'm launching a new course and I have done it at a giveaway price because I want to reach as many women as possible. Because when we have more money in the hands of women, women are safer and the effect on the planet is extremely positive. Because when we have more money in the hands of women and women are not so stressed about money, that means that they will be a better mother, a better wife, a better friend, a better friend to themselves because they won't be carrying the same degree of stress. And then if you look at situations in marriages, partnerships of coercive control and domestic violence, we need money in the hands of women so they can leave and look after themselves and their children. And the third thing is that... 
more money in the hands of women means that more collaborative community projects take place. So, look, it's just simply in our makeup. We don't have the same competitive streak men have. And I'm not dissing men. I love men, but we are different. And women are into collaboration and community. And marvellous stuff gets done when there's more money in the hands of women. So just as an example, I have a very good close friend who's very comfortably well off. And she's doing two projects at the moment. One is helping Afghan refugees who land in Australia with nothing. And the other thing is about young girls in Africa who don't have sanitary napkins. They don't have sanitary products to look after themselves and when they have their period they have to stay at home because they're bleeding so what has she done she's put together a project of raising money to make sure that sanitary products are free in africa for girls well this is wonderful and it's just one example of many so the planet needs more money in the hands of women so i decided to do this course 97 australian dollars which is 75 us dollars it's a giveaway. It's a wonderful course. It's six modules, and it does include those four major processes that I was talking about. Well, that is an amazing price, I have to say. And just to add to that global conversation of money in the hands of women, it's so true. It's proven that when we give money to women, especially women across the globe in poverty situations, they invest in their culture, community, like you said, differently, where everything starts to grow. It actually can change third world countries. That's right. Yeah, it's an amazing thing when women have money. We need more money in the hands of women. So this money work is as important for women as the right to vote. I agree. It's extremely important and it can be hugely impactful. And it starts with you. It starts with the individual. So thank you, Virginia. Thank you for having this conversation with me. Christina, thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure to talk with you. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to Be Will Begin. Make sure to catch our Thursday Small Shifts episodes for five-minute self-reflective small questions that follow a theme and a guided meditation style. Also be sure to click the follow button or check mark for Be Will Begin on your favorite podcast app to add it to your library so each episode downloads automatically. And if you'd like to stay connected for workshops and all Be Will Begin offers, and get a free guide to working with fear and imposter syndrome, you can go to fearimposter.avanthousemedia.com or click the link in the show notes. Stay safe and keep creating.